You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionalists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. Welcome to the JCN Clinic podcast show. I'm Jessica. And I'm Carissa. Yep, that is Carissa back with me. I think we've had a few episodes in between oh, where you guys to. are probably like, uh, where's she gone? But she's, uh, we've had we've had the other girls on the podcast a bit, which has been great, but also Chris has been on holidays for a couple of weeks. Lucky thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just living the good life. Just living the good life. How was it? Was it good? Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was really good. It was one of those, and I'm I'm definitely not whinging about having a holiday in paradise at all, but, um, it was one of those holidays that just wasn't, you know, when you go on a holiday and you have this expectation of the holiday, um, and then it's, you know, because we were planning to do a lot of boating and fishing and, you know, it still wasn't meant to be anything like winter, um, up there but we just got crappy weather and Arctic snap come through. So (laughs) all of my preconceived notions of enjoying the last few weeks of winter in, you know, a tropical, like we wasn't even super tropical, sorry, but, you know, up, you know, Fraser Coast was like, yeah, not quite that, but still lovely nonetheless. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, your holidays really rely on the weather, like as far as camping and outdoors stuff, like I remember when we were, kids and we'd go camping for holidays and then it'd be shit weather and everyone just get miserable and pack up and go home early yeah we stick it out we're stayers we weren't camping this time we actually had a little um like a little beach shack which was or like a little cottage which was nice um but yeah like it just definitely we had a few beautiful days towards the end which is always the bloody way um and we still managed to find some really nice little beaches and and spots out of the weather so you could yeah it was still it was still super nice it was just we didn't get to do a lot of the things that um we had planned but that's okay that's all right still delightful back and refreshed kind of <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I was refreshed. I don't know if I am now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm literally like the last two weeks has been a lot. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many things apart from what I told you before the podcast, the good things. There's the last two weeks being back at, back at work and just back in normal life has been yeah, there's been some massive family events and just obviously all the good stuff as well. The last two weeks has just been like, <gasps> breathe, <gasps> breathe. <laughs> so I feel like I'm a little bit manic today, but that's pretty standard for a Friday for us anyway. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It is. <laughs> well, guys, we're going to do a Q&A style podcast for you today because we've had a few, as always, questions come through a little bit of a mix directly through questions on socials um, and also questions or common um, sort of comments in consultation with our clients that we're getting which is often to be honest off the back of what people are seeing on socials too so we thought we'd dive in and um, tackle some of these so the first one we wanted to talk about is 
antibiotics and when to take them. Um, this one has been coming up a lot at the moment. I mean, we get this question and always have got this question a lot in clinic, but I think it's probably coming up more at the moment because there's a lot of people sick. There's a lot of people going to the doctor um, and potentially as a result of that, there's a lot more um, use of antibiotics happening. So we thought it'd be a good one to discuss because we get we get this asked this a lot by clients when um, there can be a spectrum of different things. So I guess in the context of immunity and being sick and then um, going to the GP and being prescribed antibiotics, there's that component, but there can be a real um, wide and diverse realm for antibiotic use too, um, as far as other sorts of infections. And I guess, I mean, Carissa and I, as usual, haven't really spoken about this as far as um, our opinions as, as such, but that's the point of the podcast is to ping pong back and forth. We're usually on the same page, but I think people potentially are surprised with how I know I feel about this and probably I'm going to sort of assume Carissa as well, because just because we work in the space of nutrition and um, preventative health doesn't mean that we are anti-antibiotics. Antibiotics <laughs> at the right time can be life-saving and are an amazing um, medical marvel that we have access to, along with many other things in the medical realm. And when they're used at the right time uh, correctly for the right conditions, will literally save lives and also can be the catalyst for you getting well when you're trying to do it without antibiotics and you're so stuck and you're getting sicker and sicker. And I feel like a lot of people who like we see in the clinic or even in the kind of in quotation marks wellness space have this complete fear of antibiotics and it's just like, I can't do it. I can't touch them. Um, they're bad. They're going to ruin all of this, which maybe we'll probably get into this concept of all this work that I've done on my gut health. Um, and they just suffer. They just, um, they just suffer and keep trying to do everything that they can from a, a natural perspective. And meanwhile, they're getting worse and worse and potentially starting to play with fire. So I and mean, I could keep going on and on <laughs> with a few more specifics, but yeah, what what are your thoughts? No, I um, of course, surprise, surprise, agree. Um, no, I think I think we a hundred percent. Yeah, I think I agree. I also think that antibiotics, I do agree, can be life saving, but also um, quite and quite immune altering. But also in a, I say this, immune altering is probably not the best phrase to use but you've got to weigh up the benefit and the risk with everything is the way that I look at it and I don't I definitely don't agree with antibiotics being handed out like fucking lollies every time you have a sniffly nose or every time you get a little bit of sinus or anything like that like I think we we all 100% wholeheartedly agree that you know um, over prescribing of antibiotics is definitely an issue However, there is a massive space where antibiotic use, as you've mentioned, is completely okay and completely, you know, should be taken into consideration 
if you're you're not recovering from something or if your body needs a hand like at, at what stage does you know trying to fight the good fight become detrimental to your health without you know bringing on board an extra layer of health like I think you know I think antibiotics are usually short and sharp which I do like about them and this is what I explain to my clients like if you use them you know conversely to herbal herbal antibiotics or food-based you know antimicrobials and things like that like the difference is is that you know you can achieve what with an antibiotic in four to six to ten days what might take months to achieve with a you know a herbal or food-based antimicrobial um, but also, you know, the quicker you allow, give your body the assistance, if it needs it to get over something or help, you know, fight something, the quicker all of the healing mechanisms can start to come into play and inflammation can calm down. So, you know, our, our goal always for um, our body is, you know, risk versus benefit and how much and how can we help it do what it actually needs to do, I think, especially when it comes to the immune space. So, I think, yeah, I'm totally, I say this to a lot of my clients. I'm like, if you're, if this has been going on for months or you've got a chest infection that looks like it's going to develop into pneumonia, the risk of damage to your lung tissue is not worth not taking antibiotics. Like, you know, mm. you can end up with long-term, long-term scarring. Like pneumonia is not fun. Pneumonia and bronchitis style infections, um, chronic sinus infections are not really something you want to fuck around with. Um yeah. at all and that's where I think that's antibiotics it. can be amazing same with chronic gut infections like if you've picked up mm. something that is actually stripping you know and I use the word stripping your gut lining but like ripping your inside ripping your inside out and you're not getting over like let's face it most most gastro events are over short and sharp for people like 24 to 48 hours or a couple of days but if you're someone who is not clearing an, an infection don't fight it for two weeks and have 40 plus loose stools a day with blood and mucus go and get the antibiotics and fix that fucking shit mm. quickly <laughs> like yeah. so your body has a chance to recover <laughs> yeah exactly it's that line isn't it and I think that's where I and I definitely appreciate and value our clients asking us when they're unsure Mm. and it's really good if you've got a health professional you can go to because yes absolutely there is has and is still and has been it's getting I think slightly better in overuse of antibiotics and particularly in the space of the common cold or flu um from the point of view, and I'm sure most listeners know, like antibiotics are to fight bacteria. They're not going to help with the virus itself. So trying to use them um, in the realm of like just getting over a cold or a flu really isn't going to do anything. And that's definitely big area of overprescription. But as Chris has said, like there's, there's, a, there's a point where these viruses can tip to a secondary infection. Now, that's when we're getting bacterial involvement and the mucus is going from perhaps like a clear color to like a really dark yellowy green color. And your body can have the ability for sure to fight that on its own or have the assistance um, that might be more of a natural perspective. And that's stuff that we'll use a lot in clinic from a food to a supplement base. And that can work, but if it's not working, and you're in strife, that resistance then to just go, I'm not going to take antibiotics and you're like pushing weeks of this. And also, as Chris has said, you know, you're starting to dance on the side of like severe bronchitis or, you know, things like pneumonia. You don't want to play around with that. And it's likewise with, yeah, as you said, with the gut, like there's a point where you have to draw a line in the sand and think like, well, how detrimental 
Like if I'm in such a bad state, the adverse effects of taking these antibiotics, like and particularly if I know what I need to do and I'm working with someone to help my gut through the antibiotic use and on the flip side um, to be able to use them uh, in that way versus not using them and things going on for months and months, um, that's that's the area that I think we're trying to get across. Um, I, this also came to mind and I, I don't think she would mind, I wouldn't mention this client's name, but uh, someone I've been speaking with in the past week from the point of view of signs of like UTI infections um, and we'll mm. see this too where particularly with women there'll be some some signs of a UTI. Now as soon as, again, there's definitely some natural things and some pretty powerful supplements that can help get that quick smart under control the way we can use diet but as soon as there's any sign that that is spreading to the kidneys and we're starting to get lower back pain and severe severe um, discomfort you don't want to stuff around with that because you don't want a kidney infection so I just want to or we just want to encourage people to like think about the antibiotic use on a spectrum of where they make sense and to not be um not to be completely ignorant to how they can help you when they need to be used. And if you're unsure, that's when I think reach out and ask your practitioner, if you have a practitioner, um, if, you know, you can talk. GPs are getting a little better with this um, as well. So speaking to your GP, um, if they're going to be able to give you a bit more guidance. Um, But I just think this kind of like complete um kind of like anti use of antibiotics can be a bit dangerous and i guess that's why i wanted to cover this as a topic because we've seen it we've seen <laughs> we've seen the uh side of people who are just like no i'm not going to use them and and seeing where that can lead yeah 100% i definitely can speak firsthand about being stubborn about antibiotics and ending up with a kidney infection i didn't even think of that is a really good example of a space, but I was, I was definitely one of those people when I was probably 16 or 17, I think. And I just would smash ural thinking I could clear a UTI and I did take antibiotics whenever they'd get really bad. But I remember just one time thinking I've got this. I clearly didn't. I went downhill within a couple of days, um, got so sick from the kidney infection that I ended up in hospital. Um, but at first, I think because I got so unwell so quickly and just had such, de- I got debilitating headaches. Um, they didn't actually know what was wrong with me. Um, they thought I had bacterial meningitis, which <laughs> the treatment for that or the wow. diagnosis procedure for that is a lumbar puncture, um, which they first three times were unsuccessful. Um, you know, of getting that, you know, spinal fluid. So you know, and that is just a classic example of you know me being just not listening to my body really. Like I should have just, Mm. you know, gone, I knew I was, you know, someone who had a high prevalence of UTIs, you know, in my teens, you know, purely purely probably just due to sugar in my diet. Um, (laughs) But also, you know, um, but yeah, like I just, it was a really horrible experience. The side effects of just like, I know I'm painting worst case scenario here, but just like if I had have just gone to my doctor and just said, I think I've got another UTI, um, I, you know, Mm. I might need antibiotics, but yeah, kidney infections aren't definitely aren't something you want to muck around with. Like I just was this probably the sickest I've ever been in my life when I was in hospital wow. with that. Um, good example, really good example. Probably a horror story example. <laughs> the other one I was just thinking of, as you were mentioning, that is um, antifungals. 
as well. Um, yeah. For things like for things like um, vaginal thrush and oral thrush, but like I know, obviously, we have a much bigger um, treatment plan from a holistic point of view that we can work in this space with women. But I want to talk about the acuteness of you know chronic thrush for women when we are trying to get it under control and where sometimes an antifungal, even though it is a bit of a bomb to the system like fluconazole or something like that, can be mm. really useful to just get symptoms under control but also just kind of do a mass yeast cleanup because usually by the time we have someone who's got, and I'm not just talking about thrush that you can clear up with a bit of canistin or something like that. I'm talking about the thrush for women that is canistin, like, you know, intravaginal pessary resistant. That's a big phrase. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> big phrase for a Friday. <laughs> big phrase for a Friday. Um, you know, but if we've got, if we've got thrush like that, that is like, I have sometimes by the time I speak to a a female client coming in she's had this for six months do you know what I mean and her doctors just kept telling her to mm, take canistin mm. or it's cyclical so it's not as niggly but around ovulation and around her periods you know period cycle it's debilitating like that's not that's something that needs medication I I feel unless there's mm. something I can give her that does get it under control and sometimes there is but there seems to be again this massive resistance to taking something like that and I'm like Dude, we have dude, we have to weigh up the quality of your life here. Like you are mm. spending every day in chronic agitation. Your vagina is angry. Like if we mm-hmm. can nip this in the butt, if we can nip this in the butt quickly for you, get you some symptomatic relief, still do all the holistic work, you're going to be much better as a ge- with a general outcome once we're on the other side of this. But trying to fight it when you're already in the hole is sometimes mm. really hard without, you know, antifungal therapy, like, you know, pharmaceutical antifungal therapy. So yeah, no, that's a good point. It's a good point. And I definitely, obviously we do see the flip side of this, like where we talked about overuse and for sure that's, that still is an element. Um, and we do see people who are, you know, caught, have been caught for years and years in cycles of like recurrent antibiotic use, like infections and kind of like on this merry-go-round with antibiotics and not getting anywhere. Like that's, that's a, different level we're talking about like the intermittent use of them where appropriate and where needed um yeah it just reminded me too just lastly a little like on topic but not antibiotics for (laughs) to kind of uh give an example I might have spoken about this on the podcast before as a story but many many eons ago when I was still studying and working in a health food store I remember I always remember it this lady came in and she wanted to buy a natural um, like insect repellent. And she showed me her legs and she was covered in these welts, like these horrible welts. She was like reacting to these um, bites, like being in Queensland, like just, and she's like, I've tried this and I've tried this product and that product. She's like, is there anything stronger that you can yeah, it's give me? Because like, they just come, they just come at me. Like the tea tree's not working. <laughs> this isn't working. And she's <laughs> and I was like, it's called freaking Erigard. Like, honestly, like, look at, look at the state of your legs and how inflamed you are and all this histamine reactivity. This is having a major influence on your life and your discomfort levels. Like that little bit of Erigard, like, again, it's just like weighing it up. Like you're not bathing in it every day for the rest of your life. Like, I don't know. I just always remember that. And I'm like, dude, just put some Erigard on. 
know, like we're not oh, totally. we're not just talking about a little mozzy bite. Like you're you're no. in a severe state. So I don't know. I just I, I just uh, always remember her. I don't know whether she uh, left and bought any. <laughs> Oh, I'm one of those people though. Like I, I, for a Queenslander and a mad camper, I midges and mozzies love me. Like, and I, I am that person that gets the histamine reactions to them. And again, it's just, it's not worth for me. I a hundred percent agree. I know a hundred, I always have um, just either some roll on rid or some Bushmans. Every time we go camping, it's, and I, if, as soon as they're about, I just lightly just brush myself in. I put a little bit in my hair just to keep those fuckers away from me because the minute they set in, I will have reactions for weeks afterwards. So, you know, and I have tried all the natural stuff and mm-hmm. look, it's, it's good. I'm not bagging mm-hmm. it. But if you're someone who, who is almost allergic to these bites, which I definitely am, like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not messing around. I don't want, I don't want the scabby mm-hmm. infected legs. That's it. It's just, yeah, it's just, again, bringing attention to like where that line is for you and just being a bit more, I guess, sensible about it. And yeah, it, it it's not like you have to lay down and die on this kind of like rock of being like, I am a wellness person. Everything I do must be natural. It's like, let's be, let's use our common sense people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a bit, bit uh, harsh, Jessica. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, okay. <laughs> oh, so good. Um, all right, we're going to move on to number two. I'm going to handball this one to Carissa, as I was joking to her about earlier, because I'll probably <laughs> lay down and have a snooze <laughs> my interest area. <laughs> so the second the second question, well, is it a question or it's topic? I think that you brought this up because you're seeing a lot of us this because Krista yes. works more with hormones than me, which is the glucose tolerance yes. testing in pregnancy. Um, elaborate, Rissy, elaborate for e- us. Elaborate. So the re- it is definitely a question I've, I have had a lot over the last couple of years. Um, and is glucose tolerance testing still a relevant test in pregnancy? Um, and I think it's a lot to unpack, but I just wanted to say a few things around it. Um, cause obviously I've had a mixed bag of clients over the years, more often than not, people still go with glucose tolerance testing. Um, you know, the oral glucose tolerance test, it's, it's a test. I'm, I don't even think I need to explain it because most people are aware of what it is. It is performed somewhere between the 24 and 28 week, 26 week mark, um, you know, in pregnancy, but the issue with the test is that obviously that it's it's an older style method of testing. It is a massive glucose load on the body. And I think the, well, I don't think I know, the issue up for debate is how relevant is it for someone who doesn't really meet the criteria for gestational diabetes? So I, I want to say that I completely understand and I do feel that that is a very relevant point. Um, and I do think that, you know, there's, it's definitely not a black and white, um, answer, answer for this. Cause I'll have clients that will say to me at week eight or week 12 or week 16, should I do the glucose tolerance test? Now as a holistic health practitioner, there's no fucking way I'm going to say yes or no. So I'm just going to put that out there right now. And any practitioners in the holistic space saying yes or no blanket to their clients, 
really need to rein their shit in um because I've heard that there's a few you know I've had clients say oh you know my such and such said oh don't worry about it it's an old bub you know it's an old dated test so I really just want to put some clarity around the relevance of the testing if you have a risk for gestational diabetes you need to be aware that there are significant risks if you get gestational diabetes for yourself and your unborn baby and then when your baby is actually born as well so those risks are not up for debate or anything like that but I think there probably at some stage needs to be maybe some revising of who who undertakes a glucose tolerance test but that is not as that is not up to us as natural healthcare practitioners to decide Mm. that is up to your client to have that conversation with their obstetrician and then for your client or you as a pregnant female to have that conversation with your obstetrician and your pregnancy team and come up with a plan that is suited to you and your pregnancy specifically. Um, so what I wanted to say is that if you have no criteria for gestational diabetes, you haven't had gestational diabetes in a previous pregnancy, you're you haven't gained a considerable amount of weight in this pregnancy beyond what is normal. Your baby is measuring perfectly on an ultrasound. Um, And you're someone who, based on all of the risk factors, tick basically none of them. You're moving your body throughout your pregnancy. You're maintaining a healthy diet. If you have absolutely no risk factors for gestational diabetes and you are concerned about getting the test done, it is absolutely a valid conversation to have with your obstetrician. And if your obstetrician is on board with you not doing the test, then there are absolutely ways that you don't have to. I've had so many clients, well, not so many, quite a few clients um, do this already where they've opted out of doing the glucose tolerance test and between them and their obstetrician or pregnancy care team, they put some plans in, ta- in place just to make sure you're still growing a healthy baby and there's absolutely no risks associated. So um, yeah, I think there's lots you can do as well if you are someone who is at slightly high risk and your baby is measuring big, but you don't want to do the glucose tolerance test. Um, there's obviously a whole space within that that we can work as nutritionists as well to obviously make sure that someone really sits within their blood glucose levels that they should be for pregnancy. We can do glucose monitoring. There's lots of dietary interventions and working with your client and then an obstetrician as well to monitor you know, the pregnant mum and also the, um, the safety of the baby is all something that can 100% be done. Just interrupting the show for a moment, guys, to tell you about our revamped Real Food Reset Plan. This is one of our most popular plans that you can purchase on our online shop on the website. It's been designed by clinical nutritionists and it provides a two-week rotational seven-day plan that we encourage you to follow for a minimum of four weeks. All of the recipes are delicious. They are macronutrient balanced and essentially this is about helping you navigate the overwhelming task of getting started with eating whole foods there's loads of veggies fiber whole grains proteins omega-3s all of those big areas that we talk to you about a lot on the podcast and within jcn so it's really about getting those beautiful nourishing foods into you supporting your natural detoxification getting your energy up, supporting digestion, and even that brain and mental clarity. So if you'd like to try the Real Food Reset, we recommend jumping onto the website. It's only $39.95, which we think is pretty crazy, but we love the idea of this as a Kickstarter or a taste of what we do at JCN. 
or maybe you're a client who's just like, yeah, I'd love some more recipes or I'd like to play around with a little bit more structure for a while with a plan, this is for you. So again, head to jessicacox.com.au to our online shop and get your copy of the Real Food Reset Plan today. Yeah. Does that kind of answer that in a way? That's good. Yeah, no, that was really thorough. That was that was great. I was get I guess I was just thinking because I know it's just like as you said right at the start, people are like, just as that assumption that people know what it is and you did explain the test. But in yes. case anyone is also like, well, why wouldn't I want to do it? Like what's what's going to happen if Correct. I do it and I don't need it? Just in case they're like, why yeah. is it, what's Carissa talking about? What's going to happen to me when I do this test? Correct. So I think the, the, the big conversation around, sorry, I should have mentioned that right at the start is that and I've seen this with a lot of my clients and friends is that if you're someone who has no risk factors and really has taken care of and taken care of your eating and your exercise and your nutrition and your supplementation going into pregnancy and you've maintained that up until the 26 week mark of your pregnancy and you really have no associated risk that would precede you to end up with gestational diabetes the issue with ingesting that much glucose for me, and I do think this is a really fucking valid point, is how accurate is that test result for someone who Mm. is not used to digesting a massive glucose load? Because I feel like Mm. if it was me and I had however many bloody mils of glucose it is and you did my blood glucose after that, if I was pregnant, of course I'm going to have an exaggerated glucose response because Mm. my body's not used to dealing with that amount of glucose. So that's where the questions Mm. sort of come up over the years and I think it's completely valid and this is where we might see mainstream Mm. medicine start to change um, the Mm -hmm. appropriateness of the test for certain women when they're pregnant um, and the appropriateness of the test in the actual, you know, conception space. But at the moment it's, it is up to having a conversation with your obstetrician. I think the cool thing is, is that I've seen, you know, a lot of um, obstetricians so far be really responsive to clients in my space, not wanting to do the glucose tolerance test. Um, if they don't have any risk factors. And I've also seen a couple of clients where there's slight risk factors or they're having a baby measuring a bit bigger on an ultrasound, still not want to do the test, but then we get a glucose monitor, we monitor their nutrition like Nazis, their protein intake, their blood sugar, we put, you know, exercise things in place like walking around after meals to really, you know, um, level out insulin responses and still go on to have a healthy baby. But I just want to say that Mm. it's such an, it is an evolved process and it's, something that needs the whole pregnancy team on board if that's what you're deciding to do, especially mm. if you do have any sort of risk factors involved. Perfect. Yeah, no, that's that's great. That sums that up really well. So I just Didn't feel like, asleep. yeah, there might have been a little bit of... But, <laughs> I was actually quite interested. I listened. I listened. I took it on. <laughs> it is fascinating, though. I was thinking as you're talking about it, like, yeah, just... It, at the at the clinic obviously you know we all as a as a core it's always been about this sort of chronic digestive health space but all of us have our separate sort of arms of passion and then you have those clients that obviously end up coming to you more from that and you know Chris has definitely got this like love of hormones and love of genetics and just the clients um 
yeah, that you're constantly seeing and dealing with and these sorts of questions that are coming up. Like I'm just think I'm just thinking like, I can't even remember the last time I had these conversations <laughs> with one of my clients. Like, cause it's such a different spectrum of clients that I see. Mm. So it just, and I yeah. love that. I absolutely love that. You know, like it's just what, yeah. um, yeah, it just creates that sort of u- that unique space and like the diversity of like how we're helping people is quite cool. Yeah. Yeah. I do also think like the I, I joke about the COVID baby boom, as I know a lot of people do, but I tell you what, like the demographic of or like my wonderful client base at the moment, the percentage of them that, you know, we've gone from gut to hormones to having babies over the last couple of years, like the percentage is high, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so there's right. Been a yeah, lot yeah. of these conversations in my space. <laughs> <laughs> I get about, I reckon a couple of emails like you know, definitely, definitely like probably towards the end of most of last year and definitely into the start of this year. It still has, it definitely hasn't slowed down, but you know, at one stage there I was getting like, I think a couple of emails, you know, every, you know, every week, which was, you know, babies due and photos and, you know, stuff like that, which I just absolutely fucking love. Um, and then I was actually sometimes too, if I'm yeah. going away and I know I've got clients with babies Isn't it due, the I said it is. I set little reminders on my phone. I'm like, such and such baby due, such and such baby due. And then I might get an email just before I go on holidays. I'm like, oh my God, you came early. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it's pretty, it's been pretty, pretty baby <laughs> in the space at the moment. So yeah. Yeah. No, that's so cool. All right, so our last question for today, which is a complete 180, um, but very relevant, um, which we I definitely have had asked with clients or just being very topical, and I know the same for you because you brought this one up, is how to save money on food in the current climate. Um, obviously, prices are going up exponentially. Everyone's talking about it. Clients are talking about it a lot with us in consultation. Obviously, we're not immune to it. So wanting to continue eating well um, and and buying good quality food, um, figuring out how to sort of be a bit more savvy about that is something that people are interested in. Um, So did you want to start off as far as it did you have any sort of I know you wrote down and on our list of things our hacks I'm like she's got some hacks man tell us our hacks got some hacks yeah um I've, I've got quite a few actually um so some of the things I chat to my clients about but things that I actually do myself is um I want to start probably just with the growing some I know and I know this is not applicable to everyone but if it is and it's something Mm. you can do I think it's a great way to save money on some of the more you know expensive but quite commonly wasted items um, that end up in your veggie drawer is your herbs your lettuces your Asian veggies Um, all of that stuff, which is not typically cheap. Like I, I know so many people just throw out half a bag of lettuce. Do you know what I mean? Or a lettuce goes manky down the bottom of a fridge. Um, herbs, like if you buy two to three bunches of herbs a week, I know not everyone does that. Nutritionists do. Um, but if you're someone who buys, you know, mm-hmm. a couple, like, <laughs> um, like these are all things, if you grow them yourself and you just use what you need as you need it, like spinach, silver beet, like 
this is actually a really good way to save yourself almost 20 to 25 dollars a week um on that stuff like you mm. think like most most bunches of herbs are three to four dollars if you get a bag of lettuce it's you know somewhere between three and five dollars or you buy a whole lettuce you know fancy lettuce they're three or four dollars you know and that's not even like that's not stepping into the organic space that's just stock standard you know Coles and Woolworths prices like so if you're doing that for a family you're probably yeah. spending 20 to 25 dollars a week and I know that that doesn't seem like a lot, but over a month that you've just saved yourself a hundred dollars. If you outlay a little bit of money to start with, grow a lot of those things in your garden and just use what you need. It also prevents wastage, which I'm a Nazi about food waste. I know you are as well, Jess. Um, <laughs> um, but so I, I love that. Um, I think that's a really good way. Like mm. you don't have to have a massive garden. Like Mick and I don't have a massive garden at the moment, but I went to Bunnings and I bought some of those big until we build a veggie patch here because we weren't sure what we were doing from a house point of view. But even just some of those, you know, $20 to $30 big tubs, you line them, you just buy some nice potting mix and soil and some fertilizer. And at the moment, even I only planted it like two or three weeks ago, I've got silver beet, um, um, bok choy. I've always got my herbs, I've always got parsley, oregano, um, you know, rosemary, chives. Like, so there's just a lot you can do in that space that once it's set up and going, it's minimal maintenance and then it's just a bit of rotation. I think that's a good way to save money long-term and it gets people mm. out in the garden, which I think is never a bad idea. Yeah. And also just to, on the tail end of that, I definitely, that's the first one that always comes to my mind. If, if people are listening and they're like, I, oh, you know, I don't have, I don't have a backyard. I don't have the room for that. I've, had plenty of clients just buy a couple of pots literally a couple of pots and put them out on a little veranda or in the kitchen like that you you're right like just growing a couple of herbs that you enjoy or even just one or two greens like you can have a little plant of some rocket or some baby spinach Mm. or some sorrel um and you can just continue to just like kind of cut leaves off those as you go and they don't they really uh, will take care of, well, they won't take care of themselves. Let's be honest. I would kill them if it wasn't for Damien. <laughs> but the thing is like they they do save you a lot of cash. Like if you're if you're not investing constantly in buying greens and, and even herbs, but even greens if you're not a herb person as much as we are, like don't underestimate just going to Bunnings or Kmart or wherever it is and grabbing yourself some pots and some potting mix and just getting some little seedlings and getting them going. I've got clients doing it in Melbourne on balconies um, or just in a kitchen in front of a window. Like, yeah, there's, it doesn't, you don't have to have a backyard. No, you don't. Absolutely not. Um, Did you want to go next or do you want to share another hack? (laughs) Yeah. So I, there's a few that I was thinking um, one of them, they kind of roll into each other. Like, seasonality is a big thing um knowing a bit more about what's in season and you can do that with an easy google even these days but the 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 supermarkets and particularly farmers markets will, will show this more like whatever is in season will theoretically be cheaper so if you're in a if you kind of are in a habit of making the same foods and meals all the time and using the same vegetables all the time like you might be using broccoli in winter but broccoli in summer like you know that's just your green or you might be using tomatoes like 12 you know 12 months out of the year too just what you can do is 
get a little bit more savvy about, well, what's actually in season? Because if it's in season, it's in abundance more, it's growing easier. So the prices are down. Whereas if you're trying to use um, your kind of broccolis and your cruciferous veggies in summer, they're going to be more expensive versus say buying a cauliflower now. Um, Or if you're trying to like, if you are trying to make that tomato eggplant dish that you make every week, because that's just what you know how to make, that's going to be really expensive right now because those things aren't in season. So just knowing a bit more about what's in season and then that's going to push you, I know, um, to probably think a little bit outside the box of the meals you usually do use. Um, but on on the sort of side note of that is the farmer's markets. Like often farmer's markets can be cheaper um, but I would also say another really good trick with this is if you have a local farmer's market and say it's open from three to six in the afternoon or it opens at six in the morning, goes to 10, go in the last hour because most of these stalls as it gets close to the end start marking everything down because they just want to get rid of the produce. And I used to do this heaps as a student. And yeah, you may not get everything you want, but again, it'll kind of force you to use whatever's there. Um, And you can be getting things easily for like half price, um, ridiculous sort of prices just by thinking a little bit more about the times that you go um, and what you're actually physically paying. And again, it's going to be seasonal. So um, it should be produce that's more abundant um, and it shouldn't be super high in price. So yeah, they they were ones that I thought of, um, particularly from that point of view of just like fruits and veggies and so forth. Um, And then probably (laughs) just to keep going like in that concept of like, bulk buying and this depends again on you whether it's just yourself or a family but don't underestimate too how much cheaper these bulk options are that are out there anything from um, obviously there's the source bulk foods and many stores like that Um, we have a local one here in the Yarra Valley called feel good food which is amazing Um, there's no there's no packaging or anything here they get everything in bulk so they can pass it on to you at a cheaper price Um, And often when you buy in bulk yourself, then your prices are low. So I know I can go into my bulk store and say, buy my buckwheat, which I love, um, or any of my nuts or my seeds or even my almonds, um, which are a big thing for me for the good old almond milk. (laughs) Like I can... I can get those at a lower price point than if I was to go into Coles or Woolies or something like that and buy things in packets. So it often pays to just, again, just widen the scope a little bit more and do a little bit of research as to what's available to you because these places now aren't um, these little like bespoke um, uh, shops that are out in like a hippie hippie um, expensive suburb like they're online they're abundant and they're very um, savvy on price point because there's a lot of competition so Mm. they are probably my main ones that come to mind at this point yeah I um I pretty much covered half of mine as well so yeah definitely the markets I had on my list I definitely had buying in bulk as well like source bulk foods um, I even buying your meat in bulk. Like if you've got a deep freeze, yeah. we've got a deep, yeah, we invested in a deep freeze purely for that reason because a we I like to cook and 
freezings again coming back also to food waste but also just you know anything that is like if we've got leftover taco means we're overeating that because we've had it for three meals I'll just freeze the rest of it because I know I can take that camping and that'll be jaffles um so little things like that also um yeah but buying your meat in bulk like quite often if you have a good relationship with um your butcher or you know any of these places either talking to them about if you were to put in a bulk order, what deal could they do for you? Um, if you were to buy mm. half a pig or half a lamb or find a family member, you know, that can do that with you. Quite often that is a cheap, I used to mm. do that a lot when I lived up the mountain. Um, we, I would just buy it, go halves with people down the road in a lamb and have, you know, so instead of paying 40 something dollars a kilo, we were paying nine. You know what I mean? Like there's just, and again, it's yeah. money to outlay yeah, at that's the start. Yeah, that's difference. It, huge I mean I know that I know it would be different cost wise now but it's just little things like that like just don't it doesn't hurt to ask the question to the people like they can what they can only say no Mm. they can go no we're not doing that for you but look I think nine times out of ten like there is there is ways around that also depending on where you live if you have access even to like local local farm produce like I know at the sunny coast there's some and even out in the scenic rim there's some awesome stuff happening in that space around the um, outer skirts of Brisbane so understanding when some of even some of these places that are you're more if you're someone who's more interested in sustainable farming you know local produce and stuff like that like some of these smaller scale farms have a farm gate thing where they open up once every three months and they carve up all their animals and their beasts they pack them for you it's frozen and you can go in and put a pre-order and just buy in bulk um so there if you if you venture out into that space um it seems like a cost outlay to start with but you actually can stock right up it's the same with what you you were saying Mm. just with the grains and things like that like stock up um the thing that i love to do and we actually do do this and i find it is such an awesome (laughs) awesome way to get creative and it may not be applicable as much to a family as it is to you know um like just a couple living together, which is, you know, obviously yours and mine situation. Um, but or but it might be something that's good for single people is that once a month, well it's not as religious and routine as that, but once a month I won't do a shop. Um, and I force myself to get creative with what we have in the cupboard. Like I might just go to the markets, grab some fruit and veggies mm. and stuff, but I I won't buy meat, I won't buy tinned like tinned stuff. I don't go out and I just don't buy anything and I force myself to get creative with what's there. Um, So sometimes that's actually quite fun because you create something that, you know, you Mm -hmm. might have had X sitting in the freezer and you're just like, what the fuck am I going to do with that? And you're like, oh, I've got these veggies. I'll just chuck it into a slow cooker with some stock in this and see what happens. It's something you wouldn't normally do, but it forces you to get a little bit creative with your food. And sometimes it works out well. Sometimes it's a fucking fail. Um, (laughs) But it's a good way to run (laughs) It's a good way to run your pantry down. I find That's like so I, <laughs> I find we have like if we're really, really honest and real with ourselves, most people have enough food between their freezer and their pantry or cupboards to probably survive a month without going to the shops. Like there's obviously some staples you might need to top up, like milk or things like that, but there's quite often things that you can be really creative with we just don't because we've got the convenience of going to the Mm. shops whenever the fuck we want so I try and challenge myself to have a week where I don't do that or I'll do a really small shop where I'll only spend $50 um, and just get what we absolutely need but then force myself to be creative Um, and another one that I love doing and I also get a lot of my clients to do it is plan and I know we said this when we did our last podcast of what nutritionists eat but um, I try and plan two low-cost dinners a week purely because I love to 
bring in the like plant-based element Mm. just so I've got a little bit more focus on that but it's also a good way to bring down costs so if you do like two soup nights a week or a frittata and a soup night like just Mm. things that actually don't have a massive cost outlay because let's face it meat is definitely can be a big cost and especially if you're feeding a family um you know so having a soup with you know a crusty sourdough bread and just you know roasting up some vegetables and you know putting some veggie stock into that, like that's a really low cost dinner option that's nice and filling and satisfying. Um, Yeah, just planning some lower cost dinners um, can be a really nice way to kind of, you know, rather than thinking you have Mm. to create these extravagant, you know, full-on meals all the time. So, yeah, no, totally agree. And also, yeah, the even with the meats, like thinking about the lower cost cuts, as well because again we I think people get stuck in ruts we we know this too again from, from talking to clients about it's steak night or it's it's fish night and like the, you just hear the cuts of meat that people are having but um, there's so many more lower cost cuts and ways of preparing it's just trying something new and different and we're in the I guess we're in a good season for that now with slow cooker meals and um, how some of the cheaper cuts are are good for that but definitely like you're saying um, looking at how you can include plant-based proteins more because they're just cheaper they're cheaper cost meals like using legumes and and doing different things with legumes um, is so much more cost effective and I think I think a lot of people would, yeah, just just by exploring some different options and different recipe ideas. And I love your idea of just not not shopping sometimes because I know when we've been really low in the house, like that's often ironically where I've come up with like some of the best new recipes just yeah. out of being forced to do so. So I think you know getting out of routine a little bit and trying new things and um, going well. I've never really done much with chickpeas. I've never really done much with lentils. Like what can I do? What's something um, new and different that I can do here? And it's going to make this like a $5 meal versus like a $30 meal. Um, And even I think the I love too what you're saying too about like putting things away and leftovers because I, I would say most households have a pantry where it's like what's in the back of this pantry but also freezers like how many people, including myself, have got stuff frozen in your freezer that were either leftovers from meals or God knows what, and you don't even know what it is. And it's not until <laughs> it's so like true. you have to clean out a freezer for some reason or you move house and you just find like a container that's got like half some roast lamb in it or you've got some cooked sausages. And it's just like, it's crazy how much we actually do have on hand and how much we could be like not spending when we think we need to spend. Like even tonight, I, you know, don't know what we're doing for tonight, but if say I had to use something from the freezer, I know I could go dig in that freezer and I'm pretty sure there's some frozen sausages from God knows when that were cooked. And I I know there's some like lamb that's in a container there that needs to be used. And we kind of forget, we just, we make these things and we push them into the freezer and (laughs) get lost and they turn into ice two years later, a a mint icicle, and then we throw them away. Yeah, it's it's so true. I've actually done that camp. Like that's why I think I love camping because I know most of the stuff I freeze is just leftover meat that's not appropriate to give to to Zaybug. Like because it's you know if it's a mix of something that's got too much like garlic and onion, all the things she can't have. Like I do the same thing. I just freeze it in little portions and stuff. 
but it's like one time we went camping and I literally thought I had three different containers and we left on a Friday afternoon. So I was like, right, this will just be dinner tonight. Like we'll just chuck it in, chuck it into a pan or into a pot, put it on the fire and um, we'll just have it, have it with some, you know, gluten-free bread or something. So it'll just be an easy dinner. I thought it was all just taco mints. I had three different, I had like a savory mint, a taco mint and a leftover spaghetti bolognese mints. And of course, like by the time we're doing this, it's like 8.30 at night and it's dark from set up camp. So I've just put it all into the pot and I'm like, as it's all like, sip, like starting to do, like break down, all the ice is coming away. I'm like, oh, fuck, this is like three different flavors. <laughs> but, mate, a bit of cheese, a bit of cheese and some bread and butter and she was good to go. <laughs> cheese fixes everything. Cheese fixes everything. <laughs> what I'll do too, guys, is I'll pop in the show notes just a few links to some of the kind of more popular um plant-based meals like there's a couple of really good winners for what we're talking about as far as I think legumes whether you know it's a soup or like a classic dal or there's a really popular tofu bake um I'll pop a few of those in there um and even there's one I'm thinking of like just with the meat like just different cuts of meat that are a little cheaper too so we'll include a couple of kind of practical recipes just to emphasize what we're talking about and hopefully give you a bit of inspo so yeah I think that's that's the end of our Q and Q and yeah, Q&A questions for today um I guess just to round it up we always like to bring you a couple of recommendations um I was thinking this morning I wanted to recommend that and this is another thing I'll pop in the show notes for you is that if you haven't tried my new porridge recipe can you freaking go <laughs> to the show notes and click on the link and do yourself a favor and make it for breakfast now that it's like officially winter because it's really bloody delicious and it's like rocking my world literally every morning at the moment. The pancakes have like entered, just gone off stage left and they're, they're a lot rarer at the moment and it's all about porridge and it's just like such the right balance of all the right things. Like it's called salted honey protein porridge. And it's got a good amount of salt, the right amount of honey. There's chopped up banana in there. If you don't like banana, you can swap it for another fruit. But I promise you it all comes together really, really well. And make sure you layer all the yummies on top. But um, I'm going to recommend my porridge because it's freaking delicious and you need it in your life. What's the um, grain base? Yeah, so it's quinoa flakes um, that I use most of the time and that's in the recipe. But I've also used millet flakes when I've had them. You could use buckwheat flakes. You could change it for oats. It really doesn't matter. But I promise, promise, Yum. promise, even with quinoa flakes, that it's still really yummy. Like that's that was really important with this recipe that it's not – it just doesn't taste like that quinoa flavour. Like it's got enough of all the <laughs> other things layered on top that it just tastes really good. I promise. I promise, people, it doesn't taste like bitter quinoa. <laughs> People are like that quinoa porridge. I'm like, no, I, you don't understand. It's really yeah. Good. I feel like I, I feel like I want to go. I feel like I want to go and make it now because yeah, it sounded so good, and then you lost me at quinoa flakes. But I feel like because I trust you, and you're cooking <laughs> that if you're <laughs> that if you're telling me that it 100 is fine, I would actually go and try it based on that. So the rest of it sounds freaking divine. You need to do it. 
Um, anyway, my recommendation is I didn't think this through at all, but I just thought of it then because I actually thought of it two weeks and I thought I have to remember we do a podcast to talk about this. Um, <laughs> you're going to laugh. <laughs> is um, the... Um, <laughs> Is the new fake tan oh, that I'm using? <laughs> so oh, I'm using. <laughs> so because it's winter in Brisbane and it's fucking cold, and my little legs aren't seeing sunshine for the last couple of weeks, I got the mm. um the um eco tan. Um, I think you and I have actually came ac- come across it before because I feel like years ago we got sent some samples of it for a function that we did. So it wasn't new to me. Oh, I, I know just what you mean. Yes, right. But it's all natural because mm. you know, like I'm, you know, just in the co- in the context of not putting too much crap on my skin at the moment with some of the estrogen work that I'm doing. I've all the things that I got a little bit lax with. I've changed over, and so I've gone back to like a natural tan and I have used other ones and you know not really love them but I bought the eco tan um and it is for all of the white Irish out there like myself that you know pale skin (laughs) that do need a tan that doesn't look too orange or anything like that this is actually beautiful like I'm really impressed with it it's just something like a moisturizer Mm. that you can put on after the shower it it does give you quite a nice color but it doesn't stain anywhere crazy like you know when you do the full like you wouldn't have to do it just because you're naturally beautifully brown. Um, but um, for the rest of us, that, not down here, I'm not. <laughs> is that you know everyone would know that has done put tan on with a mitt and everything like that. There is a whole process to it. This is a lot simpler. It's just like more like a gradual tan, but it definitely gives you a bit of color from the get go, and it's all natural mm. and it doesn't stink like fake tan. You're making me want to use yeah. it. Where do I get it? Is yeah. it supermarket? I ordered it. I ordered it online. I do think like they do have some stock lists in some, um, you know, maybe health food stores and stuff like that. I just ordered mine online um, because it was easier and I thought, right, I've got to get a tan that's not full of, you know, all the chemicals and shit and I they kept popping up in my feed. And I was like, oh, I remember this because I feel like we had some of this when we did a function years ago. She gave us some stuff for gift bags mm. and I was like, I'm just going to go with it and I'm really impressed. And I know my fake tan. Do you like, so say you're using it like a moisturiser. Do you use it every day? No, no, that's the beauty of it. That's it. No, like I think I did it, I did it once and then the next day and then, yeah, and then that was dark enough for me. And then how often do you need to keep reapplying it? Probably like for me, um, one, like maybe one, I've just been doing it like once a week, once a week for two days and then just that's it. I'm, I look, I look tanned enough for me. I might have to give this a go because I'm feeling very white. <laughs> Uh, love it love it all right so guys thank you so much for joining us as always Um, I hope you enjoyed our Q&A session we've got a couple of really exciting guests coming up as well Um, so look out for those episodes and as you may have noticed if you're a avid listener there's a bit more regularity of shows dropping at the moment which we're um, aiming to keep up for you bringing you just some of the other um, amazing practitioners with the clinic along with these guests but um, you will definitely still be getting Chris and I very regularly in your ears that's for sure (laughs) but 
As always, we'd love, love, love you to share the episode. Uh, helps other people find us. We definitely would appreciate if you could just take a moment to leave us a review because the more reviews, again, help people find us. And other than that, um, yeah, thanks heaps for joining us and we'll catch you next time.